Hello there, and welcome back to the Game Pit. Yes, I'm back. I'm Sean, and here is Ronan. Return off the Sean. It is. <laughs> a little bit of Leicester-inspired theme in there. How are you? You well? I'm very well now that all my games from Essen have turned up. <laughs> I'm very excited. It was now. a little bit scary. Where's our box of games? We don't know. But where is it, though? We don't know. Um, Literally, the whole, the company that we sent it with didn't know. Uh, yeah, we don't know where they are. <laughs> there were tears. There was snot. There was wailing. Sean attempted to swim to Hamburg. <laughs> you said wailing, didn't you? That's what happened. That's why I didn't make it. <laughs> hey, the Faroe Islands were on alert. Hey. Well, Ronan still hasn't got his game, so he's still there's still some gnashing of teeth in London, but he'll have them tomorrow, hopefully. Being held to ransom by a giant <laughs> in the Midlands. Anyway, we're not talking about Essen games. You little tease. You I know. kind of leave them in there, but we're not doing Essen reviews yet. We're still putting them off for a little while longer. We are, in fact, coming back to our top 100, the slowest countdown of a top 100 any podcast has ever done. In four years' time, we'll be in our top 10. Don't you worry. <laughs> we knew it was going to happen. It's all fine. We've got to, Sean, if you can remember, uh, 70 to 61. We have indeed, yes. So we're, we're getting close to the top 50, right? Now. <laughs> some people only do a top 50 sure. <laughs> anyway get out your papyrus from when you wrote these notes you've probably forgotten what all the games are uh, who's kicking off who's first am I first am I usually first uh, I think it's usually you okay we'll kick in then okay don't shout at me Sean tell me you love me it's weird I'm going to say now right it happens that this is a kind of a weird 10 for me this is where I go esoteric for my fourth album and I take in some other influences, all right? So be oh, good to me. Oh, God. I know you don't love it, but you <laughs> did play it in bad circumstances. And my number 70 is The Duke. Two-player abstract game. It's played on the grid, and you have these square tiles. Obviously, they take up a square each. And they're two-sided. And you're trying to capture the other person's duke. Every time you move a tile, it tells you what you can do on it. You can attack or you can move. You can do a couple of other things. And once you do it, it flips over, and the pattern in which it interacts with squares around it changes, as in it might be able to move diagonally now and attack in straight lines. If it flips over, you might be able to do a long attack far away and then flip back again to be able to move it to attack again. So it's not as readable as a as a game of chess, something like that. Now, I think that War Chest has done something quite similar and it's a very good game, but I haven't played it as much as Duke, and this is quite a nostalgic pick for me. For such a small little package, and such a small game, you start playing it, you're like, what? What is this? You show it to people, you start with like four tiles in play, and people are like, what is it? And then it's one of those that grows and develops, and every game is different because you can bring new tiles in next to your Duke, and you're drawing from a bag, so you don't know what you're going to get, and the opponent doesn't know what you're going to get. So they can't read your plans because you haven't got any until you get it, and then you've got to adapt on the fly. And it's all done in 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, yeah, I'm possibly an, an overlooked little gem. The Duke. Sean, begin attacking it now. I, I'm not going to attack it. I think it is very good for what it is. I just don't particularly like what it is. It's a, some would say, a chess variant. Uh, but chess it's not a chess one. variant. It is. It's, it's very chess, similar. You're moving, you're moving things. You're attacking things. You're getting to the end. A chess of your, variant. It's playing on a chessboard with chess pieces doing different rules. No, all right. Well, it's it's got a similarity to chess, and 
I'm not a very big fan of chess. <laughs> so I never really was going to like this one, but I can see why others do. Now, you sprung this on, on me on my very first trip to Essen at the airport before it. So I was bouncing up and down with excitement and this, yeah, it went completely over my head. I didn't know what I was doing, didn't care what I was doing. So maybe in different circumstances, but yeah, I don't think it's going to ever be a game for me, but I do see the, the love. The Duke, great game. Try it if you get to <laughs> So my number 70 is one that's long been a favourite of mine. It's Libertalia 2012, Paolo Mori, Marabunta Games. Libertalia is... A, it's kind of push your luck game you're exploring to get set collection but the main heart of the game is everybody starts with the same deck of cards and all of these cards do something to each other like they, they knock that one your opponent's card out if it has a certain one or gives you a bonus if there's no other ones that are shown and that to me at the time was completely new. It kind of blew my mind. Like, whoa, what is this? Completely new system to, to navigate and explore. And as you go on, your deck changes slightly. So you're getting slightly different cards and you're keeping cards that other people are getting rid of. So the decks start to become asymmetric. And I just think it's a very clever system, very clever game. With a little bit of random thrown in there, which I kind of like in games. So for me, Libertalia was always a hit. Now, I don't think it was the hit with you, was it, Ronan? You know you have these games, right? <laughs> and you have this opinion of it in your head. And you're like, I like that or I don't like it. And you haven't actually played it for a while. And maybe you can't remember why you liked it or you didn't like it. So you're like, do I like it or not like it? So I turned up for a gaming day a few weeks ago. And there's a game of Libertalia going on. <laughs> I was asked to jump in. And I was like, they're like, do you like it? I was like, mm, I don't think I do. But I'll play. Yeah, I don't. This game is just terrible. It's not terrible. I am, ter I am terrible at it. Right. And it's just no fun. It's just flip over a car. What happens? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're playing. I have no idea. <laughs> this is so funny. I'm right. I don't know where it could have been that. It could have not been. Whatever. <laughs> this game, the whole game is like, whatever. Here's a card. Whatever. What's going to happen? I get this token, you get that token. It's just no fun to me. There's nothing in it that appeals to me in any way in Libertalia. But if you like it, fair play. So you've started off on a terrible foot. You've been, you've already been as wrong as wrong can be from the start. What's your next choice? All right. Two wrongs out of 20. <laughs> have, you, have you ever played my 69? Have you ever actually played Mask of Anubis? I have. Yeah, yeah. I do, I have. I won't say what I think about it. I have, I do, I have. I have, I do, I do. I right, cool. I have, I do. Okay, just like that. <laughs> Mask of Anubis is a weird game in all, so many different ways. It involves putting together a cardboard mask. You have to do this bit. And then you put a mobile phone in it. And then one of you gets to put the mobile phone up and you will be in a fixed position in a maze and you can look all around you, up, down, and spin around. And you're trying to describe the geometry of corridors around you, plus features like statues and plants and things. And then you'll get a certain amount of time to do that. And the other players between them will be asking you questions and listening to you and trying to use tiles to put together what you can see. And then the next person will get to look, and they'll be in a different position in this very simple maze. And they'll describe what they can see. And 
between going around the table and each of you having this fixed position view of a maze and sort of trying to plot it on tiles, you're trying to work together and go, oh, you were standing there and I was standing here. We could see parts of the same features, so you meld together what people can see. And by the time you've gone around however many views you get to look, you've got to try and work out between you what the maze was. And then you do the solution and it walks you forward through it and turn right and go forward and do it. And you go, oh, we did it right or we did it wrong. Much, much more entertaining than it has any right to be. I bought the sequel in like a group buy for quite yeah, a bit of money and left it on a tube train. Never got it back despite working on the tube. <laughs> that was annoying. And I've only just recently been able to get hold of a copy of the original for myself. It is in my Christmas holiday plans to play with the family because it's really funny. It's just a great laughing social time around the table. Mask of Anubis is my number 69, Sean. Yeah, great game. Absolutely love it. I always go for it in the maths trades because to get hold of a copy is, is quite difficult and quite expensive. And I think it will be a fantastic game for, for my family as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with Mask of Anubis. I remember playing with yourself and Ellie and we had a great time. A lot, a lot of shouting. Why did you see that? Where was this? What are you talking about? I love it. Really good game. Well done. It's one of those ones where you get annoyed with yourself because someone else will see something and they'll be like, there's a massive statue right behind you. <laughs> oh, I didn't never turn. I didn't think to turn my head that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, I got one right out of three. Thanks. Arbiter well done. Game. Well done. You've redeemed yourself to some degree. Well, <laughs> Cheers. Well, I'm staying very, very safe in, in Safey McSafe land with an absolute classic. And my number 69 is Carcassonne from Klaus Jürgen Red and coming from Hans Im Gluck and Z-Man. So, what can you say about Carcassonne? It's probably the first tile that most people have played if you've been in the in the hobby for, for a little while now. And I think it still holds water now. We play the winter one regularly because Nat's obsessed with the winter one because it looks Christmassy and never never fails. It's just a good, solid game. Yeah, it's been surpassed to some degree nowadays, but uh, I still enjoy my games of Carcassonne. How can it have been surpassed if it's your number 69? With with other games, it was... uh, Sorry, I should have said, uh, elaborated there. It was was firmly in my top 50 before. Like, I think it might have even been in my top 20 before. And... Other things have pushed it down. It's not the first game you turn to anymore, but it's it's one of those when you do turn to it, you always have a good time. Or I do anyway, so that's why it's still in my top 100. Number 69, Carcassonne. Right, I'm looking out for a 30-minute competitive tile layer that surpassed this. <laughs> good all right, fair enough, yeah. Now. Okay, yeah. You, you, I think it's an easy thing me. to say, oh, Carcassonne has been bettered, or some of these games have been bettered. I can't think of any pure tile layers, just tile layers that are, you know, not many of them that are better than Carcassonne. Yep, nope, you're right. When you're right, you're right. It's not often, but I'm having you on that. It's a better game than you let it have. Cool. Your number 68, Ronan. My number 68 was tickling the undercarriage of the top 100, Sean. And then an expansion came out, which forced it into number 68. The expansion was Rise of X. The game is Dune Imperium. I think it is fabulous. And it is fabulous almost for hard-to-describe reasons because it is a worker placement deck builder. The worker placement part is very frustrating because it's driven by the cards in your hand. You can't always do what you want to do. The deck building is almost messy 
and almost too luck driven because sometimes cards will come out in that market that suit you and sometimes they won't and sometimes you'll start chasing something but you won't be able to follow it up because none of the cards that will sync with what you started doing will come out and then you don't get to go through your deck very often so actually having a current hand doesn't happen as often or you don't have as much control over it as you would hope so sort of the main selling things of it don't work as well as the overall feel of this constrained tight push where there's very limited access to points so you're very much prioritizing what points you want to grab and what points to let go and you're having to kind of go with the blows of the game but always feel like you're getting somewhere so it's a curious game but game that works very very well makes you feel like you're in a real fight against the other players without creating the sort of bitterness of absolute direct conflict despite the fact there's direct conflict in there I don't really know why, but the expansion takes it to another level completely, gives you more options, makes uh, you able to slightly twist what you're doing and give yourself your own little edge on, on how the game's going. So I think Dune Imperium with Rise of X is my number 68 full time. Dune Imperium is a perfectly good game. I, I did enjoy it. I owned it for a little while, but I did get rid of it because... I think some of the things that you really like about it, the tension with the point scoring, so it's not like a, like you get 90 points at the end of the game, you get 80. It's like this, that one sort of, I go ahead of you, and it's a race, isn't it? It's a race to 10 points. That stresses me out a little bit. And as you said, the frustration with the not being able to play your workers the way you want them if you haven't got the cards in hand. I was a little bit frustrated. I still liked the game. I haven't played The Rise of X. So I'm kind of worried if I do play it and it improves the game a lot, I'll play it again. I really can't afford the space or the money. So I'm staying away from it for the moment. But it was a good game. I did like it. For the love of the Lord, do not attempt a game you think you might like. (laughs) Right, so my number 68, I think I'm on solid ground here with Ronan. It is Nations 2013 release. From Rustan and Nina Huckinson and Aina and Robert Rosen and coming from Lotta Pellet. Nations is the civilization game that is the least Sean-like civilization game that you probably could think of. It's, it's very abstract, it's all done on cards, and it's very nitpicky, and you're you're taking points off each other, it's quite attacky sometimes, but I think the the cards, the clever card system and the different routes to victory just make it such an interesting game to play. There's always a choice. There's always something interesting to do. There's always a power on a card or a terrain, uh, an area of the world that you want to take over for their special resources or powers. I just think it all comes together to make a really good, interesting Civ game. So, yeah, Nations is my number 68. Yeah, Nations came along, I've said this before, where I think we were naive enough to think there was a perfect Civ game out there. And we almost (laughs) judged some of these games too harshly, and there isn't a perfect Civ game out there. So now when I'm looking at them, I'm looking for them to get certain aspects of an overall Civ game right. And Nations gets a lot of those aspects right, and it's a very fine game. It was also very famous for the size of the box, because we we stacked Puria's clothes in it. You always you always, like, every time Nations has got the right, you've got to mention Puria's pants. Like, you, you need to see a therapist about this. Things things start getting a little bit weirder now. Oh, God. My number 67 is a solo-only dice chucker called Deep Space D6. Oh. In which you're in charge of a spaceship 
and you are going to roll dice with symbols on and depending upon there's different spaceships you can choose within the tiny box depending upon which spaceship you've chosen the symbols on dice have different functions they kind of represent like your crew doing stuff and you're going to come across hazards which are linked to, to numbers of the dice and what you're trying to do is survive through the hazards get rid of them get rid of problems coming on your ship and then get to when you're playing like the, the full i say full version it's a tiny game it's like half an hour long the full version is then there's a, a an overall big baddie that slowly appears aspects of this this giant ship if you like and you've got to start trying to take those out and it's all very challenging and it's it's dice mitigation it's dice management you can lose dice they get injured and you've got to try and work them around again through your infirmary to be available again and you're just basically assessing the risk every time and then rolling the dice and trying to work out how i can think ahead yet deal with what needs dealing with right now and for its size and for its length the amount of variety you get in the box is incredible now there was a multiplayer version coming out d6 uh space armada Something went horribly wrong there. I got my money back from the crowdfunder and I never really looked into it after that. I was like, the geezer struggled to get the game out, basically. It's one of them where he, he loves designing games, but the actual production of games might be a little bit not his, in his wheelhouse. But the, the original solo-only Deep Space D6, fantastic half-an-hour game. Yeah, this is one that I remember reading the synopsis on BGG and thinking oh my God, why do I not own this game? And then I finally got to the point where it was so low only and realised why I don't own the game. I think there is a lot in there that I'm really interested in. I just never play solo. Even even when I buy a solo game, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to play this, it just never gets played. I never never quite get the impetus together to, to put it on the table. But uh, everything well, I, about if you're this, wondering, If you're wondering, I do feel a little bit judged. But okay. <laughs> um Everything about this sounds amazing. I love the theme. I love the thought of you constantly having to recycle things and, and fight against the threat. And oh, yeah, sounds great. But I'll probably never own it. You could come over and like just sit at my table and play it. I could just watch you, maybe stroke the back of your head or something. Just, just get you. Yeah, but then I'll go. I'll go to sleep, and then you'll have to bring me to bed and tuck me up. <laughs> it won't be the first or the last time, anyway. <laughs> Okay, moving on to my number 67, an old favourite in the game pit for coming 2010. It is Castle Ravenloft. Uh, let's just chuck in the whole series, at least the first three games in there anyway. Uh, Rob Hainsu, Peter Lee, Mike Mills and Bill Slavacek, and coming from Wizards of the Coast, uh, the first, well, I suppose Hero Quest is the first dungeon crawler I ever played, but... In the terms of the main hobby nowadays, this is the first one I, I played and still love it to the day, this day. It is clunky. There are problems with it. Sometimes you, you run into dead ends and what have you, but when it works, it works really well. I still love the monster system where they activate on each person's turn so they're not all hitting you at once and you've got a time when you do things. And I, I think all the differences in the different games just there's always something new happening and I just I love I love it and it's hack and slash through through a dungeon, do your things and get out. I can lose myself in this game for whatever an hour and a half, two hours happily. And that is Castle Ravenloft. Yeah, the system was my number eighty one. I chose Tomb of Annihilation just because that's the one I've been playing most recently. But the whole system is fun. Yes, there's probably some nostalgia there for us, but there's only so many 
dungeon crawler systems you can possibly get your head around and enjoy. And this is the one that we have chosen to. So strong choice, Sean. Well done. Thank you, Rodan. What's your number 66? Bit of affirmation. My 66 was your 72. So I'm expecting you to recall exactly what it was right now. Um, No, I can't. <laughs> it was Shakespeare. Ah, good game. Good game. Ah, yourself. Yeah, it's uh, loosely themed, but all very much about the tight choices. You, you're going to have to eliminate some actions for the next round and take some actions now, racing to the best set pieces or the best costume pieces, having some sort of a, an overall strategy in putting together your own tableau of actions and having to, to also manage a tight economy. With the expansion, it adds even more choices because you also get to choose how many actions you take a turn, which dictates turn order, which takes your access to things. But now the action pieces that you're not using on something, you can use for something else as a secondary system. And you can get other cards. And sometimes it's just worth holding back and not taking many main actions now because, especially later in the game, the supplementary cards that are available will fit better into what you're trying to do almost than what you've left available for this turn. It, it just takes... And again, an expansion that takes a game. Shakespeare probably would have made the top 100 anyway, but the expansion makes it even better and it's not expensive. And it's a fantastic, oft-overlooked Euro that really... Um, uh, most people that I play it with absolutely fall in love with it, put it that way. So Shakespeare is worth 90 minutes of anyone's time. Yeah, it really is one that people don't know much about. It's, it kind of has gone way under the radar which which is surprising because it is such a good game and this makes me think I, I really enjoy clever card play in, in games no matter what the game is you're a game a merry trash game whatever clever card play seems to draw me in so this definitely has clever card play in there so yep very good choice well it's gone under the radar or it's been covered in rotten vegetables Sean by the crowd <laughs> one of the two yeah I don't understand the hate <sighs> Nat doesn't like it so I think I said that on my when I when I'd covered this game, and she doesn't like it because it's so tight, and I suppose that yeah, that people, if you don't like really really tight games, then you're not going to like this. But other than that, it's such a clever game. Give it give it a go. If you haven't played it, seek out a game. It's well worth your time, as Ronan said. I concur. So my number sixty six is it's another classic for me anyway. It's twenty twelve Snowdonia from Tony Boydell's Surprise Stair Games. I haven't got too much to say other than this is one of the very first pure Euros that I ever played. And it was recommended to me right at the beginning when I started in the hobby, saying, like, if you like Euros, give this a go. And I think when I first started playing it, I didn't enjoy it too much because I was very much in the Arkham Horror phase. But once I started to get into, into the Euro games, then this one really came through. It's, it's resource collection, it's worker placement. You're working your way up the side of a mountain in Wales, obviously it's called Snowdonia, and I think it just does everything it does well, and it still stays in my top 100. Ronan, what do you think of Snowdonia? I think your memory might be faulty here, because I don't think you started playing these games in 2012. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Now that I think of it, my first Essen was 2013, but maybe it was when I started getting into Euros. I remember people recommending it to me for a while before I actually give it a go. So, I think you didn't like it because, you, as you said with June, and this is kind of interesting to me, you don't like June because you're limited in the actions you can take and it feels very tight. But I get that from Snowdonia. You have very limited actions per turn and people can take stuff ahead of you. And if, they, if they're if getting the resources ahead of you, you've got to 
kind of change your, your attack a lot. So it's interesting to me that you say you don't like tightness in games, but you do like it in certain games. And this is like an exact, a couple of games apart here where you're choosing a tight Euro you really like, but saying, I don't like that one because it's tight. We need to delve into this, Sean. We need, like, I don't necessarily go. don't like them because they're tight. I didn't like the scoring in, the tight scoring in June Imperium. I'll get it out in a minute. And I didn't like the ra- completely random. With Snowdonia, yeah, people can take things before you, but generally you can look around the table and go, right, they're going to take that and I'm going to have to have a plan B if they do. With June Imperium, it's like, well, here's my random set of cards and what can I do? Oh, I can't do any of the things I wanted to do. That's the slight difference here. I don't mind tight games because, as I said, I really like Shakespeare. Tight game, love it. But it's the tightness in the scoring and it's the eeky nature up one, down two. Oh, you've beat me to that. Oh, now I've lost the point. That scoring in Juniper is what I don't like. We're going to have to give each game an eeky rating. <laughs> an eeky rating, yeah. This is an eeky rating of 58, whereas Juniper Imperium is a 74. That's quite close. I thought you were going to like 3,000. <laughs> I was like, well, what are we rating on here? I don't even know what the scale is. It's like confusing. Okay. My 65 is another super quick game. This one is a two-player card game in which you both have a set of cards and four action tiles, and you choose each turn one of your four actions to do, and you're going to have to play cards or offer cards to the other player, or put cards face down. And what you're trying to do is, it's Hannah Makoji, there are point-scoring areas, and you're trying to end up with the most points in each point-scoring area. But cards are dictated where they can go to by their colour, which area they go to, and you're going to have to give some of your cards to the other player and take some back. And it's all very tight and very second-guessy, and you're setting something up, be like, oh, I'm going to have to end up giving them that card in order to take this one to score points. And you're looking at each other's eyes, trying to read each other's mind and squinting and being like, I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the noise for Hannah Makoji. Uh, all the new content is coming soon from the Kickstarter, so I'll have more. I don't know that it needs it. It, it might be a game that just stick to the base because it's beautiful and works so, so well and makes you so angry with the world <sighs> in 15 minutes. It's just a fantastic, tiny little two-player game that is so clever. Hannah Makoji, brilliant. Now, although Hannah Makoji has quite a low EQ rating, I still... Really don't like this game at all. Oh, no, no, I'd say it's a very, very high EQ rating. Oh, we've got EQ rating controversy already. <laughs> because you're, you're eking out a little like, Oh, you have one, I'll have one. Oh, right, we're gonna have to sit down and write the EQ rating rules, obviously. Right. As the father of the EQ rating, I guess you get to decide, but it's, it's an instant challenge on your EQ rating. There. So, have you played it? Have I played Hannah Makoji? Yes, I have. I've played it with you, and it, it fascinated me because I didn't think I could hate you anymore. And this game actually managed, me, managed to do it for me. So, yeah, too frustrating. Too frustrating for me. I don't like this game at all. 44 years of proving you're wrong when you think you've got to maximum hatred of me. <laughs> okay, so my number 65 is an incredibly beige game called Florenza. It's another 2010 release coming from Stefano Groppi 
and from Placentia and Postscriptum Games. Florenza is all about building up Florence. Now, an awful lot of these games seem to be based in Florence. And you're building up Florence, but you're building the artwork. So you're either doing sculptures or artwork or working in churches, whatever, uh, doing murals. And in the game, it's, it's got your worker placement side. But the main catch for me in this one is that to do the works of art, you have to bring in artists. Now, these are real artists from the period and even a little bit beyond the period uh, so like you might have leonardo da vinci and leonardo da vinci is good at everything so he's going to be really expensive to bring in and, and make your artworks whereas somebody else might be good at art or one might be good at sculptures and you've got to get your resources in and target where you're going to do your artwork and get the right person in it's all getting everything all your pieces in in the right order in the right place to do your artwork and scoring points off it i just find it a really fascinating game and yeah i i, I thoroughly enjoy florenza I have a reaction to Florenza, right? <laughs> Is it that rash again in, in that in that place? Shh, <laughs> that's for After Dark Game Pit. <laughs> I have a reaction to Florenza because it was a game that I had down to look at at the essence of the year it came out. Yeah. And I went and looked at it. And I went and looked at it a lot. <laughs> and I kept getting the same reaction. I was trying to get over my reaction, but I couldn't. So, Sean... I'm going to say that a liquid food that you like a lot is your homemade minestrone soup. Right, go on, yep. Right, right. But how would you feel if you were dropped directly into the middle of a pond of minestrone soup that was two kilometres in diameter? You're talking to the wrong person. Two kilometres in diameter? I was trying to go big enough. (laughs) No, you haven't gone big enough. You haven't gone big enough. 10 kilometers <laughs> right in okay i might I'm, i might be overwhelmed slightly <laughs> you could just about see the far shore but there's a lot of ministry that's how i feel that's how i react to florenza it's just so big and so euro and so beige that i'm like these are all things that i like but not this much of them so i've never brought myself to play it because I'm too scared of drowning <laughs> in the in the Italian names no, of Renaissance to, and the beige bits of cardboard. You've got to dive in and, and frolic, Cronin. Have a frolic, have a play in the, in that sea of beige. In, embrace the beige. Stained beige, Sean. Stained <laughs> beige, I tell you. I'll get, I'll get Euro tsunami lung. That's two tsunami lung jokes in the last two months of this podcast. I watched the documentary about tsunamis. Well done, you. Do you want to move on? You're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of nothing to do with any of that, I, I'm going to take you back to almost prehistory, if you can remember when we started this countdown in uh, episode 175. Go on, then. Some fool, some injudicious, oh, massive fool. It was in my top 100, obviously. Made the statement, the unwise and oft-to-be-referred-to statement of... That might be the last Knitsia you hear of in this list. Okay. <laughs> That's the sound of me shaking my head. Right. Sean David Rice, how dare you? My number 64 is just a, yet another one of his genius games, and it's Samurai. Samurai is the game in which, depending on players, there's a map and there are cities and you have a selection of tiles and you're looking to surround cities with the most combat strength in order to claim them to score points 
There are special action tiles. All that makes it sound vaguely thematic. It's really not. It is one of his tile laying, trying to claim something. Most, I think, similar to Babylonia, which is a more recent game, but with sort of more more maths on top. Babylonia is, is a very simple to look at the board and get the game state and go, boom, that's what I'm doing. In Samurai, there's much more working out and it is higher on the Iki rating than Babylonia, which is higher on the Iki rating to Blue Lagoon. And those would be the three that I would sort of almost link together of how they work. And uh, this is the older, crunchier, nastier, oh man, I've been really blocked out of this and I've scored two points at the end of it. But a fabulous toll lane game from Canizia, Samurai. See, I like Babylonia and I like the other one, which I can't remember the name that you just mentioned. Blue Lagoon, it that's was your number one. 97. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that's the fella. I like both of those, so I'm inclined to say I might like this one, but I'm worried that it might be a step too far in the in the EQ rating. <laughs> it it might <laughs> okay i'm gonna move on then my number 64 is stone age 2008 from bernd brunhofer and zeman and hansim gluck oh how many times have we talked about stone age in this game is the the first ever worker placement that i ever played and again like carcassonne still firmly holding water uh, we played it recently, myself, Matthew, and Nat played it, and we all thoroughly enjoyed it. And Matt, Matthew was like, why do we not play this more often? It's just a really good game. I think, look, to answer Matthew's question, I think there is a wrong and a right way to play it, and I think that's probably why we don't play it over and over again now, because I think the, there's, there's a way to go, I think. And if unless everybody knows that way to go, one person runs away with it, but... Other than that, really good, strong game from 2008, Stone Age. You love this game. I do love this game. I'm surprised it is this low down. I think that this is the lowest it could have been in the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, I suppose, no, worker placement games have become one of my favourites. And I think we will see a lot of worker placement games in my top 50. So I think this one probably has been pushed down by games of its type but it's still a really good game it's never like i've had fabulous games of it and i've had okay games of it it's always enjoyable okay is probably a bit harsh it's always been enjoyable but it has never quite grasped me and thrown me into for it to be in my top 100 i've never it there's the mutual grasping has not propelled either of us into either's top 100 despite the very enjoyable grappling we have together. <laughs> you love a grapple. I do love a grapple. <laughs> that's, that's true. Oh, I wish I could grapple again. I'm too old. Okay, Sean? Yeah? There's a right way and there's a wrong way to say my number 63. I'm sure you're going <laughs> to give us the wrong way in decibels that nobody nobody can... Uh, what am I talking about? I refuse to. I feel like I'm only going to give you the right way. <laughs> okay. Zuporino! Oh, that is the correct way. I'll give you that. <laughs> Super Rhino, which is the only way this game should be called. Don't try and look it up on BG like that. You won't find it. Just put Rhino in and you'll find it under its incorrect name. Super Rhino, there we go. It is a kid's stacking game in which you, uh, you lay a card 
And then the next person has got to put walls, which are folded bits of card, and then another card on top of it is the roof. And then it comes on, carries on up and up and up the tower. And sometimes you've got to take this little wooden rhino figure and put it on. And the person who knocks it over loses. And whoever's got the fewest cards left at that point wins. And some of the roofs change the rules up and make people do certain things. It is just a stacking game that is super fast and a little bit fiddly and very, very, very funny and retains a place in my top 100 because of all of the many, many ridiculous laughs I've had doing it. People climbing on chairs to put it on top of the towers, having to buy two sets to play with because we got too good at it. So for one set, we would always max it out. It's just absolutely hilarious. They tried to extend it to make it into a bigger game with sort of multiple stacks, which really just took away from the whole essence of the very quick stacking, laughing, Oh my god, this game's ridiculous, but so funny. Super Rhino. I'll mention Rhino Hero, even though it's not. <laughs> Super Rhino is my number sixty. I was I was gonna tell people, just in case you were looking for it, that it was its incorrect name on BGG is Rhino Hero. But there we go. Super Rhino is a very, very good game. It's tell you what, where Super Rhino comes in for my family is when we go, we do tend to go to game cafes with the kids quite often. And a lot of game cafes don't really cater for children or the family market. And that is the game that w- will always be there. So we tend to play this one at game cafes quite a lot. And it is a really good, fun game. As Rana said, you get those moments laughing and winding each other up. And oh, as pe- people going on to put their card on a very rickety tower. Very good choice, Rana. Zumpad I know. Thank you very much. Eek rating, very low. Very low, very low. And my number 63, I'm on firm ground, but I'm on shaky ground because I think it's too low for Ronan in my list, is Castles of Burgundy, the 2011 release from Stefan Feld, coming from Alia Stroke Ravensburger. Castles of Burgundy, it is very much a Stefan Feld in that it's a complete um, point salad of a game but very clever tire lane and putting your tiles in the right place and using your dice to manipulate your scores. Uh, lots lots of different ways. I'm not going to go into We've talked about Castle Burgundy at Norton in this podcast. So Castle Burgundy, absolute classic and well deserving of a place in my top 100. You don't know my list. Don't tell me what's coming up later. <laughs> I do know this is coming up later. Now your face is coming up later. Maybe it's just your face. Okay. Okay. I told you I was going to have a weird bit of a top 10 and this didn't happen deliberately, but my next game is also kind of a laughing, joking, loud, round the table, doing something physical game. And it is Happy Salmon in which everyone has their little deck of cards which says high five or happy salmon or fist bump or switch places. And all you try to do is get someone's attention who's got the same card as you on top of their deck do whatever it is, high-five each other, chuck that card down. What's next? Fish bump. Right, fish bump, fish bump, fish bump, bam. Throw your card away. Happy salmon, happy salmon, happy salmon. Throw your card away. Switcheroo, switcheroo. Switch places at the table, run around. Hilarious. You can play with as many people as you like. It's six people per deck. Just buy loads of decks and keep playing it and enjoy the five minutes of mayhem each game of Happy Salmon is. It's very, very funny, and I love it. And it's in my top 100. It's just fun in a little pouch that looks like a little fishy. Happy salmon. I don't. I I don't understand. I obviously hate fun. I don't do. understand this at all. I watch 
many, many people playing this at Lobster Cons in the past. And I just sit there and go, why? There's nothing to it. Yes, oh, okay, I've got to find someone who wants to high five. It just looks boring. It looks like a, the worst business away trip game that you've ever had. It's just nothing. Why? That's These people you were watching, did they all look bored? They looked confused. They weren't laughing, though. Some of them were. Some of them weren't. <laughs> Those are the good people. That's how we choose who makes it onto the Ark when we finally leave this planet. I'll tell you what, that Ark's going to sink. This game of Happy Salmon. That Ark will sink the minute it takes sail. <laughs> Take sail? I hope it's taking off rather than taking sail. We're not going to good to us, is it? Right. Right, so you're wrong, you hate fun, and you're a bad person. There we you're go. number 62. My number 62 is Brass, but Lancashire. I think I mentioned to Ronan, I couldn't believe how high Brass Birmingham had got in the list, like number two on the BGG list. When did that happen? Anyway, moving on. 2007 release, Martin Wallace, Eagle, Griffin, Pegasus, Roxley and Phalanx all released this in various guises. Brass Lancashire is just a very good resource, route building, network building game, and it's enough brain burn i'm going to compare it to birmingham here the reason i prefer lancashire is that there's enough brain burn in lancashire for me at the moment and i have played birmingham but i think that took it a step too far for me i'm still enjoying brass i'm still getting to grips with brass lancashire keeps calling it brass because it's what it was called originally and I think, yeah, I, I, Birmingham's down the road a little bit. Even though it's got me my current town where I live in it, which is cool. I think probably the only board game in, in the world that had Dudley on it. But Birmingham's later. Brass is for now. Number 62, Brass Lancashire. Well, I've put them all together as one entry because although they are different games and Brass Birmingham's got more variety in it, that comes with its own issues with regards to, yeah, you have to read the board state but also takes away the fact that people can have set good plays in Brass Lancashire. So they, they both have their own merits, but I have lumped them all together, giving away the fact that you have ranked this far, far, far too low. <laughs> and in three years' time, or whatever, we're counting down further, then uh, you're going to hear more about how good Brass is, and it's better than number 62 in the world. Fair enough. Okay, what's your last game for today, Ronan? Okay, I'm going to finish my weird experimental 70 to 61 with another solo game. I think I've rated this the best solo game I've ever played. I don't think there's one ahead of it, but if I'm wrong, then I apologise profusely. It is Warp's Edge, which is a bag building. Again, I don't know why, for some reason, solo games seem to lend themselves to sci-fi themes, but a, a sci-fi game in which you are almost a, a single fighter spaceship and you find yourself advancing against the enemy and you've got to take out the enemy fighters and then take out the enemy mothership. But you have several runs to do this. It's as if you're like looping through time. And over the time, you're looking to manipulate the enemy deck, definitely manipulate your own pool of tokens, build up your own special powers to the point where you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger and able to take over the huge challenge, which you would no way be able to do in your first run. And it's quick... It's got progression. It's got genuine decisions. Even when you're looking at the enemies and deciding what to do, there are decisions there because you can sort of stifle an enemy by just putting one hit on it. But maybe that you might need that hit to actually take an enemy out of the deck and, and completely beat it, which would be more important. 
so they're not lingering around and you're not getting drained because you've got a limited number of tokens. There are various setups. It's got this clever thing where there are POW and E, e and R tokens, and depending on the setup of your ship, they do different things. So without a massive change of components, you've got a change of powers going on when you choose different setups. It came on the back of the first one of the Renegade Solo games, which was awful. This was the second one. This was absolutely fabulous. It's got so much gameplay in it. If you like a bag-building game and you've got any hint of playing a solo game, try Warp's Edge. It is absolutely brilliant. And my number 61. Another one that I definitely had a good, firm sniff at until I realised it was a solo game. I do really like bag-building games. And, yeah, I would have probably given this go if it was if it was two-player or more. But, um, unfortunately, as I said before, don't really get on with solo games. But, yeah, it looks very good. Yeah, you're a bit weird. I am a bit weird. You're a bit weird. It's all okay, right. So you'll, the, play the, you'll, play, you'll play board games on an app, but you won't play a solo game. Oh, I got really into Marvel Snap. I'll tell you that. That's a good game. I like it. The fact is, I see, I've seen it advertised. But I didn't look any further because it's called Snap. So I was like, no. It's an, it's an asymmetric it? playing to three locations in the middle of the table and you're playing powers. It's just like Blood Bowl or some one of those type games, Invasion, where you're playing to the middle powers on the table. And each location, every single game has a different power that it gives you and you've got to kind of manipulate where you put things. Really good. Mm, now I'm intrigued. By Blood Bowl, you meant team manager. I just thought I'd clarify. Sorry, that. yeah, that's a good idea. Millions of people. <laughs> what are you, what is he talking about? Yeah, yeah, I'll just interpret that. <laughs> Thank you very Carry much. <laughs> right, right on here, here to interpret for me. Brilliant. And my last game of today, and the last game of today, is my number 61. It is Empires of the Void 2, because we know Mr. Laucat doesn't like to release the full game on the first turn on the first swing round it's too oh bitter much <laughs> you're right over there you okay 2018 release from red raven games and obviously designed by Ryan Laucat. i still really like mr Laucat, but he has recently had a tendency to release a game that's pretty it's all right but has flaws and then fix it a year later with the full game so whether that's based on feedback or whether it's a <laughs> technique i don't know Empires of the Void 2 you're trying to find your new home world and you moved into a system after your uh, solar system has been destroyed and you're trying to go to these various different planets and you've got two tactics where you can either befriend the inhabitants of the planet and get various trade deals or you can attack them and take over the planet and both have their merits and both give you different powers. It's kind of a similar race to points as in Dune Imperium. And I don't, that's the one aspect of the game I don't particularly like on this one, but it's the rest of the game that I absolutely love. And it's all the different powers and all the different things that you can do and moving around and trying to outmaneuver your opponents and just really quite an expansive world. Mr. Loudcat's quite good at doing that, bringing, bringing you into his world with his artwork and his storytelling and what have you. So, Empires of the Void 2 is my number 61. Yeah, I thought it was it was very good, actually. I enjoyed it. I, I'm trying to think back now. It didn't have any major hook. It felt like a lot of competent things going on, and I've enjoyed this play a bit. Would I remember each individual play? Not really. It's just one, yeah, I'm always happy to play. I think it's a very good game, but slightly fairy dust lacking for me. <laughs> 
It's one that is almost like a sandbox game. You can kind of go do whatever you want and go to whatever planet you want and get whatever powers you want, but it's not quite sandbox in that you are streamlined once you get to the planet what you can do. Yeah, that maybe that's it. Maybe there's just too loosey goosey. It's, it's maybe hard to prioritize at the beginning until you kind of see what's going down and what people mm. are trying to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I would mm. I would say that's definitely something that that is a challenge in the early game. And I like a direction, Sean. <laughs> you do you like, like a, direction. a direction. You like a plan. Man likes a plan. Right, that was it. Seventy to sixty-one. Now, I think they were quite contrasting. I'm looking back at yours. A lot of classics. And as you said, a lot of strategy games and mine were a bit weird. <laughs> some of yours were good weird, some of yours were bad weird, but weird is probably the right word. I'm sticking with that. That's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Okay. Well, well that's us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. And we will catch you next time on The Game Pit. As always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. We're on social media. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. And we're most active on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to contact us, we are contactable on our email address, which is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a shout there if you want us to include anything or if you've got any questions, we're happy to answer them on the show. And we're also active on our Board Game Geek forum, so pop along there if you want to chat. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Music by Billy Aaron. Boy. Countdown, boy. boy. Countdown, boy. 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 boy.